0: Hello, everybody. Julian Charles here of TheMindRenewed.com, podcasting to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. Today is the 11th of December 2013, and I'm very pleased to be speaking to Marcia Montenegro of Christian Answers for the New Age. Marcia is a former professional practitioner and teacher of astrology. Indeed, she was at one point president of the Metropolitan Atlanta Astrological Society, For a number of years, she was involved in Eastern meditation and various occult practices, such as consulting a spirit guide and performing astral travel. But since coming to faith in Christ in 1990, she has developed a mission to reach people involved in New Age beliefs and practices with the message of the gospel and to help equip people with an accurate understanding of these matters. Now, her ministry is called Christian Answers for the New Age. And she is a missionary with Fellowship International Mission, and she holds a Masters of Religion from Southern Evangelical Seminary. She is uh, the mother of an adult son, and she's an author of a book called Spellband, which I'm quite sure that we'll talk about later on in the interview. So may I say hello, Marcia. Thanks ever so much for joining us. It's good to speak to you.
1: Hello, Julian. Thank you so much for having me uh, involved in this discussion.
0: It's a pleasure. Thanks very much for coming on. Now, I first heard about you through Vince McCann of Spotlight Ministries, who was on this program earlier this year. And he recommended you to me as somebody who'd be able to talk about the subject of the New Age from the point of view of somebody who was actually involved in that scene at one point. So I want to do it by kind of building the conversation around your testimony, because I think that by approaching it in a way like that, we'll cover many of the issues that we need to discuss, but we'll also ground those items that could be very abstract uh, otherwise in in the reality of your life. So I'd like to do it that way, if that's okay with you. Now, I'm I'm not going to start by asking you to say an awful lot about yourself just at the moment, because obviously we'll come on to that in a few minutes. So could I start by asking you to tell us a little bit more about what your ministry is and what it does?
1: Oh, sure. Well, my ministry, Christian Answers for the New Age, really has a twofold purpose. The first one is to educate Christians about the New Age and the occult, what are the New Age and the occult, how to recognize it, just so that they can be better equipped in discernment and better equipped as well to talk to others about it. Now, the second purpose is to reach out to people who are in the New Age and the occult so that Lord willing, I can dialogue with them and share the truth and love of Jesus Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. This term, the New Age, uh, we've mentioned it a few times in the conversation already. It is one of those things that's incredibly difficult to define because it's not really a religion. It's not really a philosophy. It's, I guess it's more of a worldview, really. So if we think of it as a worldview, then I suppose it's not surprising that it pops up in all sorts of areas of life that don't seem necessarily connected. So we we see the New Age appearing in some guise or other all over the place. So it's going to be rather difficult for us to pin this down, but if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to try to do that. <laughs> Could you give us a, a basic idea of what this New Age worldview is and you know how does it manifest itself in the modern world?
1: Yes, the New Age is very hard to pin down. And the main reason for that is that it is like a network of various beliefs. I've actually changed the way I've described it over the years because it is difficult, and I keep refining my, my definition of it and, and probably will continue to do so. Sure. So it's really a network of beliefs that are blended from different roots, going back to the early Gnosticism that was one of the first philosophical and religious enemies of the early Christians and is still around today, and Eastern beliefs and the New Thought Movement, which came along mostly in the 1800s and early 20th century. So the roots of the New Age go into those areas, and then as time goes by, the New Age blends from different belief systems. It it, it borrows from them and uses the terminology, including Christianity. But the New Age will mean something different by the terminology, which makes it very confusing. So you really have a a mix of things, and nothing is very well-defined. And you have people in the New Age at one spectrum and then people who are in the New Age at the other spectrum, and they may not seem to actually believe the same things. So that's another reason it's confusing. But there is a core of the New Age that is pretty much the same, and that is the belief that man has an innate divine nature, that man came from God, we will all go back to God, God is usually seen as an impersonal force or energy, although in some areas of the New Age, God is seen as both impersonal and personal. And also the view that man is on a journey, an evolutionary journey, spiritually speaking. So the idea is that humanity is constantly reincarnating, dying, coming back, and supposedly making spiritual progress through various lifetimes. And this isn't just an individual thing, but supposedly humanity is progressing, and we're progressing in the spiritual evolutionary path to reach a point in the future where we are transcendent, and transcendence in the New Age is very important. Transcendence carries the idea that we are going beyond the limits of uh, thinking, going beyond the limits of being just a quote-unquote regular human being, and we kind of go into this area where we're using all of our abilities, all of our powers, which would include psychic powers, And also the word love is used quite often in the New Age, so there would be love and brotherhood and equality. And this idea that we're all going towards this transcendent future is a basic concept in the New Age, and it's often called or viewed as the Age of Aquarius, but not always. But it, it, there is this view of an evolutionary human progress. And this would be something that would be a component of all New Age thinking.
0: And that's what the term New Age is actually referring to then. Is it this new age that will one day dawn in which all these characteristics that you've just described will, so they believe, come to pass?
1: Yes. And it, and it won't be an overnight thing. It's, it's a, it's a hmm. gradual progress. So it's not suddenly one day, you know, everyone will wake up and we'll have evolved. (laughs) It's supposed to be this process that humanity is going through. And actually, New Agers at this moment are seeing what they believe are the signs of this beginning to take place.
0: Mm -hmm. And at the core of this belief, is it true to say that it is the idea that everything is one, that everything is essentially God. And in order for human beings to gain these potentials that you're talking of, it is true that human beings need to become aware. It's a matter of enlightenment that by realizing that you are one with everything, that's where these powers come from. Am I right in characterizing it that way?
1: Yes, essentially, that's correct. I would probably say it more specifically, we are all one because we all came from the same place, the same divine source, which different people in the New Age will use different terms for. Sometimes they'll just say God. Uh, They might say spirit. They might say the source or the one. So different terms will be used. But we're all one because we all come from that one source, and we'll all go back to that one source. Now, there are variations on that view, but that's the most common one. And so, in that sense, we're all one. There's actually no real separation. And there's also the idea that there's a divine presence in everything. So all is one in the sense that all is divine.
0: Mm-hmm. So what is the role of the understanding of the human mind in all this? Because a lot of what you say seems to imply that in order to transcend, one of the things we need to do is to get beyond or overcome the capacity of the human mind to differentiate between opposites, to differentiate between things in the world and go beyond that in some way. Is there some sense of wanting to actually blank out the mind in some way? Is the the mind problematic in this belief system?
1: Yes, the mind is problematic. There's also a bias against logic. They will often say... Oh, when you view things, and I'll use the term Western. When you view things with a Western worldview, and you try to be logical, you can't see the real spiritual truths. You're just going to be analyzing everything from some rational viewpoint, and you're you're not going to really see the true reality of things. So there's this idea that the thinking mind is a barrier, mm. and The idea is that one of the ways to get beyond this barrier is through meditation. And this is actually a view that you find in um, Hinduism and Buddhism. And meditating in the Eastern fashion and in the New Age doesn't mean to contemplate, doesn't mean to ponder, which is what the Bible means, but it means that you go to a state of no thinking. So getting into a non-thinking state is the purpose of Eastern and New Age meditation. And by doing this, you basically suppress the thinking so that the spiritual truths can be realized on this higher level, which a higher level is a term that New Age loves to use. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so really, it seems to me anyway, to be a kind of blanking out of your rational faculties in the hope that that will then unify you with everything, get you beyond this world of illusion. But is it really getting you beyond the world in a real transcendence? Or are you in fact still in the world as a person sitting there meditating, but all you've done is blanked your mind, kidding yourself that in fact you've transcended when you haven't at all?
1: Yes, actually, you can feel like you've transcended this reality. Um, It's a very real experience um, that, you know, I had when I did this kind of meditation for many years. But really what you're doing is you are opening your mind to any influence that wants to come in. You're opening your mind to thinking the experience and the feelings that you're having are the truth versus the actual reality that we're in. So by opening your mind this way, it, it alters your worldview and you think that you're getting these new understandings when it's really kind of a trick where you're experiencing something that you're taking as true and you're using that as a basis for your your new worldview. And it's a very subtle deception and, and that's exactly what it is. It is a deception. And you really are just in a state, an altered state, which is the same as a light hypnotic trance. And in this light hypnotic trance, you can feel very peaceful. You can feel like you've transcended this reality. But really, your mind is just in a state of hypnosis.
0: And uh, in your testimony that you write on your website, one of the messages that comes over very clearly is that when you are in this state, as you say, you open yourself to influences. And there are a number of things that you say happen to you during your spiritual journey through astrology and the New Age. So I'd like to ask you about that and eventually, of course, your journey to Christ, which changed your life dramatically. Um, Before we get on to that, could you tell us how this all began, really? How did you get involved in astrology in the New Age? What kind of background were you coming from, to start with?
1: Well, I was coming from a home that was not a Christian home. My father was an agnostic. My mother had been raised in a Baptist home, and she was a nominal Christian. She did not really do anything that you would associate with a Christian in terms of prayer or reading the Bible, but she did believe that children should go to church. So my sister and I were taken to various churches, depending on where we lived, because we moved around because of my father's job with the State Department as a U.S. Foreign Service officer. So we lived abroad, and I didn't really take anything seriously about Christianity until I was in high school, or actually maybe junior high. And I was very dedicated to going to Sunday school, to doing my lessons. I really thought, you know, I probably was a Christian because that's what you are. If you go to church, a Christian church, then you're a Christian. That was my thinking. Externally, I probably appeared to be a Christian, but I truly was not because I did not understand who Jesus really was. I didn't understand the cross. And from that point on, I began to question a lot of things about Christianity that I was hearing. I had a lot of non-Christian friends in high school who were into non-Christian religions, and they were very dedicated to their views, and I began to think, why should I assume that I should be a Christian? I would prefer to explore other beliefs. And that's exactly what I did once I got to college. I pretty much considered I was not a Christian by the time I was 15 or 16, although I didn't announce it. But also, at that time, I was very interested in astrology. And this interest carried on through college and exploring different spiritual beliefs, especially Hinduism and Eastern religions. And I followed up on that after college. And so it was really kind of a gradual process of going into two parallel tracks. One was the Eastern religion track. The other track was the astrology, kind of occult, supernatural track where I was interested in astrology and, uh, in particular, for a while there, contact with the dead and psychic powers. And I was following those two paths for a number of years, till I got more deeply involved. So that's how it happened. It really happened with the rejection of Christianity and the desire to explore these other areas.
0: Yeah, and when you say that you were rejecting Christianity, from what you say there, you give the impression that the kind of Christianity that you were brought up with was not real Christianity at all. It was kind of the the shell of christianity without, you know, the heart within it would would that be fair that you were actually reacting against cultural christianity rather than real christianity?
1: Yes, I either was reacting to cultural christianity or for some reason I was not hearing the truth of christianity. I can't say that the pastor or the people in the church were not proclaiming the truth because maybe they were, I honestly don't know, but if they were, mm. I wasn't hearing it or I didn't want to hear it, I didn't want to understand it. I'd know that there was this message about Jesus dying on the cross for sins, but it just meant nothing to me.
0: Hmm. And you had a a strange out-of-body experience at some point. I think this was before you went to college. Did you find that this strange experience you had, at least at that time in your life, um, sort of spoke to you of something more real than the Christianity you were experiencing in the church?
1: Yes, um, actually, I did have that experience in college, but I also had in college these what I would call, you know, paranormal or psychic experiences as well. I did have my first psychic experience at age 11, and that made a big impression on me for a long time and probably, um, I don't know for sure, but probably influenced my attitude towards Christianity. And then when I got in college and I had a little more freedom to explore, I had more experiences and I had that out-of-body experience in my last year of college when I had a room to myself. And it was during the day and I didn't know what an out-of-body experience was. So I thought that I had died because I could see my body on the bed. I felt myself floating out of my body and then I saw my body on the bed and I thought, well, I'm dead. How did that happen? I I wasn't expecting to die. And it was a little scary to think I was dead. And as soon as I thought it, I sort of, I don't know how else to describe it. I sort of fell back or was thrown back into my body, it seemed. It was almost painful. And I definitely did not know what had happened. I did not tell anybody at all. A few years later, I discovered in my reading what an out of body experience was, and then I realized that's what I had had. And I also began to have a, a lot of those experiences, but then when I was having them later, I knew what they were. But I didn't always like them, they weren't always pleasant.
0: Mm-hmm. You see, one of the things that concerns me about this with respect to Christianity is that, you know, I get the impression with quite a few people, say, in the mainstream denominations, you know, they have a dislike of anything Experiential. At least this is, this is the kinds of churches that I have to do with. And so, if you talk about anything like spiritual experiences with God, there's a dismissive attitude towards it. Of oh, well, no, that's all psychological. Those sorts of things don't really happen. And yet, there is a. Of course, there are great traditions within Christianity itself of people having amazing experiences with God through the Holy Spirit. And I just sometimes wonder if we, as Christians, had an openness to spiritual realities than something like what you experience there with your out-of-body experience wouldn't have had such an impact upon you because you wouldn't have thought wow this is the real thing because you'd have had also the you know the example from Christians within the church saying yeah but you know I've had tremendous (laughs) experiences with the Holy Spirit so you've got to you've got to discern between the two here
1: I understand what you're saying but I tend to think that somebody who's having or in some way, enjoying or finding value in the New Age experience is not going to be drawn or want to stay in Christianity just because there's experiences in Christianity. Because the experiences in Christianity, they're completely different from what you have in the New Age, for one thing. And the Holy Spirit is not something New Agers want anything to do with. So New Agers aren't going to be drawn to anything about the Holy Spirit, you know, it's the doctrine of a God who judges sin in Christianity is what New Agers do not want to have anything to do with. So they don't care how many wonderful experiences Christians may have. That's not what they're after. And also, in terms of experiences, you know, as a Christian, I think the big difference, or one of the big differences, is that experiences are initiated by God. And so or by the holy spirit so it can happen naturally as the process of worship or prayer or maybe just taking a walk you know thinking about god and they're not quote unquote transcendent experiences in the sense of the new age you're trying to get somewhere in the new age you're trying to you're trying to have an experience that will deny the reality of this world it's a totally different kind of thing also, most of the experiences in the New Age they either happen because you do things to make them happen, or they happen because you're involved in an occult technique or practice. I do agree with you that Christianity is sometimes characterized wrongly as this very either cerebral or or even wooden kind of faith where everybody is following the same thing or they're not really enjoying and having ongoing living relationship with Christ. And that's, of course, an essential experience of a Christian is your ongoing living relationship with the Lord and and the Holy Spirit. But that's very hard. That's just not real to somebody who's not a Christian. It's very hard to describe or show but it is, of course, true, and I think the mischaracterization of Christianity, I think there's always going to be those mischaracterizations. I personally don't think we can do anything about them, so I just try to talk about who Jesus is. hmm
0: Let's turn back to the spiritual journey that you were on, and at some point you talk about being introduced to your spiritual master through an experience that you had, but you say that it wasn't always a very pleasant experience, so could you explain what happened there?
1: Yes, I I was introduced to the spiritual master through a class called Inner Light Consciousness, and we were taken through what's called a guided visualization or guided meditation every evening and on the final evening we were told that at the end of that session we would meet our spiritual master who would be with us the rest of our lives and it was very exciting because of course we saw this as a good thing and we saw this spiritual master as benevolent when I use the term spiritual master here the more common term is spirit guide and yeah he seemed very kind and wise. I did see him at the end of this meditation, and I did feel his presence. And yes, I have to say I felt his presence throughout the time I was in the New Age. Um, and that meeting with a spiritual master probably occurred about 14 or 15, somewhere around there, years before I became a Christian. So He was with me for a long time, (laughs) Um, and I had other, you know, I felt that I had others, too, but that was the only one I really felt I had an encounter with directly like that. I had a lot of experiences that were very unpleasant. At the time, I did not think they had anything to do with my spiritual master. I don't know whether they did or not. But, yeah, many of the supernatural experiences I had were not pleasant.
0: Was that partly, do you think, because you were, as you described before, opening yourself up through meditation to anything whatever?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely, yes. I I was definitely open to any influence because I felt that when you're on this spiritual path, you have to be open. At the time, I thought it was a good thing. You have to be open to new virtual experiences. Looking back, of course, I can see that I was making myself a target for, well, there's no good way to put it, for fallen angels, which is what I usually call them. Some people call them demons. And I was totally open to experiences that could be scary. And now when I look back on some of these things, I realize how evil they were. And a few of the ones that actually scared me, I had a hard time analyzing, you know, why am I having this experience that is frightening instead of having a beautiful experience? And so I would rationalize it by telling myself that, number one, maybe I wasn't ready for the more advanced, beautiful spiritual experience. And number two, maybe I was being tested. Those were my rationalizations for these rather scary experiences.
0: You say that at the time you were doing this Eastern meditation, that you felt that you were fading away and merging with something greater. And you felt at one with the universe in some sense when you were doing this. So what I want to ask you, looking back at it now, do you think that you really were merging with something greater? Or do you think that really what was going on is that you were fading away in terms of your mind and that you were therefore blanking out and therefore having experiences like this?
1: Yes, I think that it was another trick of the mind where I was in a state, a light hypnotic state. I truly was not thinking, my thinking mind was sort of suspended and it's kind of like you're in another gear, like in a car you go into neutral and this is like a neutral in the, in the mind and then you have this feeling that you're, you've gone beyond your body and you've gone beyond yourself and it's really, I think, partly physiological, partly psychological and partly spiritual. And I think that's what's happening because, of course, you haven't gone anywhere. You know, you haven't transcended anything. Everything's really the same. It's just that you're having a deceptive experience.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting how this is talked of in New Age circles as being a spiritual experiences. And yet again, looking at this from a Christian point of view, I think of a spiritual experience as being that which is induced by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is spoken of in Scripture many, many times as the spirit of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So his, his role in our life is actually to quicken and to give extra power to our wisdom and our knowledge and our understanding, which seems to be quite the opposite of what's going on here in these supposedly spiritual experiences.
1: Yes, I I agree with you. I agree with you. The teaching and God's word is always enhancing the mind, enhancing thinking, enhancing knowledge. And in the new age the idea is that you have to transcend the mind and transcend the thinking and you have to have these experiences and these spiritual enlightening type of insights in order to really be truly spiritual from the way they would define it. And it is, yes, actually very much opposite of the way we are to grow in Christ and and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's very opposite.
0: Now, you mention a huge number of beliefs and practices that you got involved with. I'm just going to rattle off a bit of a list here. You you mentioned Tibetan, Hindu and Zen meditation, spirit contact, palm reading, numerology, astrology, tarot cards, theosophy, psychic development, past life regression. I'm actually not going to continue. The list could continue. So what I want to ask is how at the time did all those things actually cohere in your mind? Did they cohere in any way for you?
1: Yes, they did. To me, they were all... Part of, first of all, the spiritual journey that I was on and these things would kind of come my way through classes I was taking or people that I met that were involved in various areas of the New Age. And so I would feel that this was something being introduced to me as part of my spiritual path. You know, another little gem to add to <laughs> to my New Age crown, uh-huh. so to speak.
0: Would you at the time have said that your spiritual master was guiding you along this path?
1: Oh, yes, yes. I would have said that. I would have felt that he maybe was not the sole source of this guidance, but that he definitely was a big part of it, that he would bring, maybe bring people my way or would put me in a certain situation or place where I would encounter these things or learn these things. And I saw all of these things as just different ways to gain spiritual knowledge And help me on a path to the spiritual awakening, because that's very key that you have to have a spiritual awakening. You have to have a change of consciousness. And all of these things are triggers and they're also ways to help others. I was very much into you know, wanting to help others on their spiritual journey, Um, not initially, but after I'd been doing this for a while, I felt that that's what I was being led to. So that's why I became an astrologer.
0: That's right. So you had all these various interests, and yet you felt that the path that you were being led along was towards professional astrology. So why is it you hit upon that as the one that you wish to become professional about?
1: Yes, it's interesting because looking back, I, I was interested in numerology, tarot cards, and I had taken a psychic development class. But I think astrology interested me the most because it was the most challenging. It's much more complex than tarot cards or numerology. So part of it was I wanted the challenge. I felt that also astrology was more profound in its explaining a person who the person is and what kind of life they're living and why they're living it, what's their spiritual path, I felt there was a lot more that you could find out about a person with astrology than you could with tarot cards or numerology, which to me... Although they were interesting, I found more
0: superficial. Now, it's interesting you say that it should be such a challenge to work in astrology, because I think a lot of people would, and myself included, until I read about what you say about it, that it is very much a technique, so that if you could practice this technique, it would be very cerebral, very calculating with charts and the like. And yet, in your description, in your testimony, you say that you very often felt a sense of energy in connection with these charts. So, two questions. What did you think at the time was going on with that? energy experience but what do you think it was now?
1: Yes astrology you know is probably the most ancient occult technique goes back much further than tarot cards and numerology as far as anyone can tell because it goes back to the belief in the planets which at the time they of course they didn't know they were planets they thought they were stars that moved more quickly than the other stars and they felt because they moved in a pattern there was a meaning to them So interpretation of their movements and positions started very early. The appeal of it, on the one hand, is this sort of scientific technical aspect, but it's really pseudoscience. And the other part of it is this very strong spiritual dimension. So while it is a technique that you have to learn and part of doing, analyzing a person's birth chart does involve technical things, the other part of it is very spiritual and when you're, uh, as an astrologer, you're looking at this picture of the position of all the planets at the time of the person's birth and from where they were born. So as you're doing this part that seems so very mental, this spiritual component kicks in. The way it happened for me is that I would feel connected to the chart. And I would feel as though there was this energy from the chart connecting my mind with the chart. You know, I didn't feel this connection with the person I was doing the chart for, interestingly enough. It was with the chart itself. Yeah.
0: Is it right that the occult dictum, as above, so below, does that come from an astrological way of thinking?
1: You know, I haven't researched that in a while. (laughs) I Uh I knew the term at the time. I didn't really... to me it meant that there was correspondence between the position of the planets and a person, as well as uh, the correspondence between the position of planets and humanity's progress. So this correspondence meant that as the way things are above, and I think it probably did originate with astrology because the idea was the pattern and position of these planets correlated with events on Earth. So as it is above, so it is below. There's a connection between the two. This is how I understood it. So I did feel very much that when the person is born, they're meant to be born at that specific time and specific place because that is when all the planets would be in those positions in order to reflect that person's path in Mm -hmm. this lifetime.
0: And when you had that experience that came along with this. At the time, you felt that that was somehow you coming into line with the chart and the planets. But now, what would you think was going on now?
1: I think a couple of things were happening. One is, I think because astrology is definitely an occult art. Somebody engaged in an, an occult practice like astrology goes into this altered state where their mind is open. And I think this is so there is guidance and information given from the world of fallen angels. So I truly did at the time feel guided. And I did think at the time part of it was my spirit guide helping me navigate the chart. Looking back now, I think I was probably right. I think <laughs> I think that's true, but of course, my view of who the spirit guide is completely different than sure. then sure. and I think that there is a guidance from fallen angels. there is a supernatural element. I think this can happen with tarot cards and and uh, you know when psychics do their readings. I think the same thing is going on when mediums supposedly are contacting the dead. The same thing is going on they're getting this help from fallen angels who often have information on the person, on the client, because, you know, they're around, they see things, they can know things about you. And they pass this on to the psychic or astrologer or tarot card reader. And I did often get these visions or words that come to me that would be very accurate about the person, things that I could not have known. Now, sometimes I wasn't right, you know, because, first of all, the fallen angels don't know everything. And secondly, I don't think God allows them to do everything they want, so they're limited in what they can pass on, but it's enough to make the client feel they're getting accurate information, and it's enough to make the psychic and the astrologer and the medium, and to our card reader, feel that what they're doing is mm-hmm. valid.
0: So they're being sort of coaxed along to do it more and more by revealing interesting things or comforting things or whatever it might be. But uh, scripture does yes. very, very clearly say, you know, that we're not supposed to open ourselves up to these things. Presumably, this is God protecting us, not wanting us to open ourselves to any experience whatever in a very uncontrolled way Um, what I want to move on to is this section in your testimony which I think was most profound called death and love and you say that while you were experiencing this sense of oneness with the whole of reality what you believed to be at the time this sense of oneness some sense came over you that well, what is this reality like? And some of the things that you were reading would say to you, well, this reality is characterized by love. But then you asked yourself, well, how can impersonal reality be love? It didn't seem to make any sense to you. Now, I don't know whether I've characterized what you said there correctly, but could I invite you now to explain what were your problems with this area of New Age belief?
1: Yes, there's so much talk of love in the New Age. You know, they just use the word a lot for a lot of things. Um, I mean, they'll say God is love, so all love is somehow divine. Love is something we all are aspiring to to feel for everybody. It's, no one ever really defines it or how you get it. How How are you supposed to have this love? That was never, as far as I can recall, was never really taught. And so I heard a lot about it, but I didn't really see it demonstrated that much. And then mm. you also have this, um, my concept of God was very impersonal, that God was this force or energy. And of course, how can a force or energy exert personal love? Because if love is impersonal, if love is just an impersonal energy, it's not truly love. Love has to be personal to be love and to be meaningful. Otherwise, who, who wants Absolutely. it? How can an impersonal God have a personal love, and so there were these contradictions between, well, we should have love, and there's love, and love's important, and then this idea not just of an impersonal God, but we're all one, and there's really a connection, and we're not really individuals. We're all kind of part of this one energy, well, then personal love doesn't really mean anything. So there, there are a lot of contradictions in the New Age, yeah.
0: Yeah, it really, when I was reading that, it reminded me, surprisingly enough, of a dispute that there was in the Anglican church in the middle of the 20th century. <laughs> oh. I'm sure you, you know John, John Robinson's famous book, Honest to God where he was uh, trying to get away from anthropomorphic language and talking about God and talking about God as the ground of being. And he was borrowing from the theologian Paul Tillich in, in doing that. Okay. And um, when he was doing that, he wanted also to hold on to this ground of being as also being characterized by love. So he was getting away from a personal God and yet trying to hold on to love. And then there was this guy called um, David Jenkins, another Anglican bishop, who I thought brilliantly pointed out, you know, well, if you haven't got a personal God, then where's your love coming from? You don't get yes. <laughs> love without without a personal God. And he was saying it's driving you back to, to realize that God must be personal. <laughs> so it seems that what you're saying there is, in a way, a kind of recapitulation of that argument that was going on there back in the Anglican Church.
1: Yes, yes, it sounds very much like it. And it's true. If you have a more impersonal God or something that's a force or an energy, mm-hmm. there can't be a personal love because personal love, has there has to be a will and an impersonal intelligence or mind exerting the will. It can't just be this force floating around. And, um, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know about that argument back in the Anglican. I know, I know Paul Tillich a little bit, but I didn't know about the other person.
0: So when you felt this great dissatisfaction with this very question, Did you at the time find that that was pushing you towards Christianity at all? You say that you did actually visit church around this time, but you were still antagonistic towards Christianity. What was going on there?
1: No, that idea did not, um, nothing in me pushed me towards going to a church. I was resisting it completely. What really happened was in the spring of 1990 is that I started getting a compulsion which is the only word I can think of to describe it, to go to a church, this drive to go to a church. I had no idea where this was coming from. It seemed to come out of the blue. And I didn't want to go to a church. So I really just ignored it for several months. Hmm. And at the end of the summer, I actually went to an astrological conference in Oregon. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. Went across the country to an astrological conference, And then I went back to Atlanta, and I guess I thought this compulsion would be gone, but it wasn't. So that's when I decided to visit a church, and I went to a large church downtown Atlanta. That I had driven by before, and I had seen they had a soup kitchen for homeless people. So I figured if I was going to go to church, I would go to one that had a soup kitchen for for people. That made it more palatable to me.
0: Well, it 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 speaks of a certain uh, genuineness in the faith, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it, it did to me. It did to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, you, say, you say that there was a real turning point in your life, connected with the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is recorded as having carved a storm just by issuing a command. Why was that, do you think, such, why did that have such an impact upon you?
1: Yes, I had gotten to that point after going into this church and feeling God's love, and at which point things started rapidly moving me towards Christ. And I actually gave astrology up. I need to mention that because that was a big turning point right before Thanksgiving.
0: That must have been very hard for you to do at the time because that was your living, wasn't it?
1: Well, it was. It was my living. It was my identity. Mm. I actually didn't want to do it. But again, it was, well, at that point, I was feeling God wanted me to give it up. So I was getting these impressions from the moment I felt God's love. And and I knew it was coming from a personal God, and this was totally at odds with my view of God as an impersonal force. And I did not resolve the conflict at all. I just knew there was a personal God who was sending this love to me, and then I had this impersonal New Age God, and I didn't understand, you know, what was going on. But this was so powerful that I continued going into this church, which, by the way, was a very, very open-minded church, so I was very comfortable there— And then I started getting this impression from this personal God that he didn't like astrology and then that he wanted me to give it up. So at that point where I couldn't stand it anymore, knowing that this God wanted me to give it up, Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand. The only thing I felt about it when people were asking me why I wasn't doing astrology, I said it was separating me from God. And they would say, well, how was it separating you? And I would say, I don't know, (laughs) because I didn't. I just did not understand what was going on. So after I gave astrology up, then I started reading the Gospel of Matthew, because it was the first one in the New Testament. And I just started with chapter 1, verse 1. And I did get to chapter 8. It was a few days before Christmas. And while I was reading that passage of Jesus rebuking the storm, and it immediately was still. Uh, There was something about that account that really grabbed me, for want of a better term. (laughs) It just really took hold of me, and I kept reading it over and over, and as I was rereading it, God opened my eyes to who Jesus really was. And I won't say how old I was, but I was not what anyone would call young. (laughs) And I I had a a son uh, who, who was nine years old, And I saw who Jesus was for the first time. And I realized, and this is what is amazing to me, I realized all of my views, my spiritual views that I had cherished so dearly for all those years, and the Jesus and the God I had believed in were all wrong. And I had been on this path that was totally false and had nothing to do with the real God or the real Jesus. And I, I saw all of that in, you know, you know, maybe 15 or 20 seconds, I don't know, maybe less. But I, it, all, it was this realization, and then turning my life over to Christ, because I realized I needed a Savior.
0: So was it something in that eighth chapter of Matthew, was it something to do with the authority that Jesus showed there that was so different from the New Age Jesus, who is characterized as really an avatar, a human being with extra enlightenment? But here you have in Matthew tremendous authority of a a really divine act of calming the storm just by command. Was it that authority that tipped you off
1: to who Jesus really was? Well, you know, I think that definitely had something to do with it. But what really got me in that passage is when Jesus says to the disciples, you know, he gives them a gentle rebuke. Where's your face? Like, don't you realize yet who I am kind of thing. And there was something in that, the way when I was reading it, what I felt from that, rightly or wrongly, was this sense of love and compassion Jesus had, because he saved them from this storm, Even though they were scared and didn't understand, he had this power. And he still saved them. And then he gives them this, to me it was very loving. I didn't see it as harsh at all, what he said to them. Maybe he did say it harshly. I don't don't know if we really know for sure. But when I was reading it, to me it was like a loving statement. I don't know, there was something about the love of Christ that came through. It was definitely, yes, the authority. But the love is what really hit me. At any rate, he did open my eyes through that account.
0: And how would you say now that your relationship with Jesus is different from the relationship that you had with your so called spirit guide back in those days?
1: Oh, yes. My relationship with Jesus, uh, oh, my gosh, there's hardly a comparison. I think the spirit guide was very, even though I felt his presence, kind of beyond me. He was. Guiding me, but he was not really intimately connected with me. And of course, other than guiding me, he was giving me guidance, but it wasn't good guidance. Other than the guidance part, there was no real sense of love, or he hadn't done anything for me. Mm. You know, with Jesus Christ, of course, Jesus paid the penalty for my sins, suffered beyond any human comprehension on the cross. In order to do that, He lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father so that He could be that sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty for sins. Mm -hmm. And it was all out of this tremendous love for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And, you know, that kind of sacrifice and then the relationship you have with Christ through faith it's very, very close, and it's very personal, because Jesus knows everything about you. He understands your fears, your worries. You know, he wants you to trust him. He wants you to depend on him, and the thing is, he is dependable, and he is trustworthy. You know, the spirit guide, there was no kind of relationship like that. It was all this thing of guiding me through these various experiences and you know, whatever, giving me mm. information to help me with my astrology. It sounds
0: rather like uh, you were being led through a series of hoops, really, going from one stage to the next.
1: Yes, yeah, kind of like, yeah, because you're always, you're always ascending, you know, in the New Age. You're always having to progress. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, there isn't, you know, maturing in the Christian life, but sure. it's a totally different matter, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not dependence on self. And, you know, in the new age, you're having to prove yourself, you're having to make the steps, you're having to get the understanding, you know, there's guidance, but there's no real power there. And there's no relationship of love with Jesus Christ, there's the relationship of love. And you can know him, you can know about him, what could I know about the spirit guide? Well, You know, not much. Some people have a more stronger um, relationship with their spirit guide than I did. Mine was a lot vaguer than some people, but the stories I know from people who have the stronger relationships are very negative. The more they get to know their spirit guides, the worse the relationship is. Spirit guides begin to take over their life. So in that sense, I was fortunate not to have that experience. (laughs) And the relationship with Christ, he comforts you. You're always loved.
0: One thing that I particularly want to ask you, and it's a rather long question, so if you'll let me set it up, I'll start, and see what you think about my... I mean, really, it's a kind of analysis of the situation. I want to ask if you agree with what I say. What very often concerns me is the way that many people are very dismissive of the New Age and say things like, well, they're just weird, or some Christians will dismiss the New Age as being all of the devil. And yet... I, in many ways, think that New Ages have quite a few things right in the sense of asking the right questions. So I think when they say things like, you know, modern life shuts out the spiritual, it denies our humanity, we become isolated from each other, we fail to recognize that we are connected. Modern science tends to be too reductionistic and mechanistic, reduces us to the status of robots, you know, we're disconnected from the natural world, those sorts of things. Personally, I think, well, I agree with the New Age's analysis of that problem. I, but my feeling is that they've, you know, they've got the right questions there, but they've got the wrong answer. And their answer, to my understanding, seems to be, well, we have desires, we see differences in the world, we've got to get rid of desire, we've got to get rid of mind, we've got to sort of cease to be, really. Whereas, to my mind, we have to cease to be autonomous, not cease to be. But our problem is that you know, we're rebellious against our creator, And if we could cease to be autonomous and come back into fellowship with our creator, then we would experience that wholeness and that restoration to one another and to the whole of creation. And and of course, eventually, Paul in Romans 8 says that by us coming to fellowship with God, in fact, the creation itself will eventually partake in that restoration. And this, a new world order (laughs) will actually dawn from God, that is the kingdom of God. So, What I wanted to ask you about this really is, do you think that that's right, that the New Age does in many ways analyze the problems quite well, and yet they have this distorted answer that doesn't really compare to the Christian answer that's provided to us by Christ?
1: Yes, yes, I do agree with that. I think that the New Age does recognize the problems that people experience in this life. You know, the isolation, the dehumanization of technology, and as you said, the reductionism of science where a bunch of cells, you know, that are sort of randomly evolving or something along those lines. And those kind of things do make people feel that their life has no value and what's the point of anything. And I do think the New Age definitely recognizes that and acknowledges those issues, but as you say, their answer to it doesn't really provide the solution. It seems to, and it has a lot of appeal because it's spiritual, and so anybody looking for a spiritual answer can be drawn to that. It offers a spiritual answer to it, it offers spiritual experiences in many different venues. So we find it, you know, in the culture across the spectrum. It's just everywhere, and it even blends with Christianity so that it can appear to be Christian. But when you're in the New Age, it's all individual-oriented. It's all what, it's all kind of about me and my spiritual progress. And actually, that's very lonely. It seems to satisfy, and it has an appeal because we tend to be self-oriented creatures, (laughs) but I can tell you from having been on that journey, it's actually lonely because there's nobody there really with you. Other people are doing the same thing. Maybe talk to them about it. They'll understand what you're talking about, but you're on your own little journey. Well, you will have this guidance from the Spirit guides, but as I explained before, it's not a relationship of love. Ultimately, it's kind of like their duty to help you, and you're You're just alone on this journey, and you don't really know what's the next life going to bring or what's going to happen down the road. There's no assurance of anything. It's actually much lonelier, Mm -hmm. a much lonelier path.
0: And with Christianity, there is a true transcendence that will be taking place in the future. I mean, with the New Age, you seem to be speaking about this fake transcendence where you're in this meditative state and you think you're transcending this world. Whereas in Christianity, we have to look forward to the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth, which will be a complete remaking of us and our environment by the will of God. That's a real transcendence will take place actually on the stage of history.
1: Yes, yes, the redemption and restoration. Of the world and in the new age they do have this futuristic view of earth changes and the earth will slough off bad energy and bad negative elements as people spiritually progress that's part of all the environmental movement the new age is into the environmental movement The lot of the environmental movement is in my opinion a lot of is very new agey but the thing is they're trying to do it all on their own and somehow We're going to have this beautiful, peaceful world with no war and no pollution if we can keep doing this, keep doing this, keep doing this. And, of course, there's never—sometimes the solutions bring more problems than existed originally (laughs) because there isn't a man-based solution to these problems. It can only be accomplished by God, and it's sin is at the root, and man can't get rid of them. And so it's only through the atonement, the sacrifice of Christ, that everything can be restored and redeemed.
0: And that seems to be the sticking point, doesn't it? To come to an acknowledgement that you and I and everybody else, we are in need of God's help. And uh, if we don't come to that position of humility, well, we're going to go off on a tangent and all sorts of false dreams. But basically the problem, as you say, is our disobedience towards our creator and refusing to acknowledge that we are creatures. Yes,
1: yes, exactly. It's suppressing the truth, as it says in Romans 1 that everyone can see there is a creator of this universe just from the way the world is, and man is without excuse. Man is accountable for the revelation there is a creator. Hmm. And then, of course, there's the revelation God gives through His Word and through Jesus Christ. Then it's, well, what are you going to do with that revelation? And many people want to go their own way, their own path through the New Age but it is a lonely path and it won't get you where you think you are going. It's Mm -hmm. not going to get you to a good place.
0: What would you say your general advice would be to people who perhaps themselves are involved in new age practices and beliefs or people who have relatives and friends who are interested in becoming involved in such things? What would your general advice to people be?
1: Well, for people interested in these New Age areas or who are involved, you know, I say, first of all, don't take experience as truth. Experience cannot be the basis for truth. People have different experiences. Experience is very subjective. It's not the basis for objective truth. If truth exists, it must be objective. In other words, truth is going to be true no matter whether you believe it or not, no matter whether you understand it or not, truth is truth. But when you're trying to determine truth through subjective experiences, you're distorting in your mind what truth is, and you're, you're not really going to see it. You're going to get move away from it. And so I would also say to those involved that ultimate reality is not some kind of transcendent understanding you have to work towards opening your mind to or not some kind of change in consciousness. Truth is a person, and truth is the person of Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And it's a very big statement for Jesus to say he is the truth. We don't have that in other religions. I was into Buddhism for a long time. Buddha never said, I am the truth, because he was just a way shower. So it's still up to you to try to figure it all out, when in fact, Jesus Christ has already done it for you. So I would say, think about truth as a person. And then to people who have relatives and friends, you know, I say, try to dialogues, ask them what they believe. Don't assume because especially if these people are in various areas of the new age, there's no way to really know what they believe without asking them. Hmm. Uh, even if you read about the new age, because people have different views and variations on them. So it's always good to find out first, who do they think God is? Who do they think Jesus is? I would start with those questions, and if the person is willing, dialogue about it. And if they believe in Jesus and that he came to earth, they might say he came to show love or to prepare the world for the age of Aquarius, since many New Agers believe he was the avatar of the age of Pisces. Then you can say, well, but what did Jesus say he came for? And and be prepared with some statements Jesus made and pray for that person. Do
0: you find that people generally do respect the Gospels and the New Testament documents as giving the most accurate view of Jesus and the the account of Jesus' life and his sayings? Because there are all sorts of other supposed scriptures out there which don't date back to those early times, which claim to have received messages from a, a spiritual Jesus through meditation and the like. Do you find that people nevertheless come to a point of saying in a conversation, well, actually, yes, these New Testament documents do go back to the historical Jesus. So, yes, this does have the greatest authority.
1: It really depends on the person you're talking to, um, sometimes on their background. Yeah. If they did have some kind of Christian background, they might give some kind of credence to the Gospels. But it is true there's this idea that the Essenes wrote about Jesus. There's the channeled writings about Jesus, like in A Course of Miracles, and the Aquarian Gospel um, by Levi... Uh, which is supposedly about Jesus' life and when Mm. he went to the East and was initiated into these Eastern belief systems, etc. So there's a lot of these writings, and then, of course, the Gnostic Gospels we can't forget, which have become very popular in the past 15 years, like the Gospel of Thomas. And what I usually say, if these things are brought up, is I say, well, you know, like the Gnostic Gospels, these were all written much later than the New Testament. We don't know who the Mm. authors were. These authors that claimed to have written them were dead. If that comes up, you know, it's good to have some answers. I don't think it's good to get into an argument if they keep arguing about it. Then the other direction you can go is to try to take them to the logical conclusion of what their beliefs are. Uh, for example, if they believe in reincarnation, you know, then I, I would say, how many more lives will they have to live? You know, they might say they don't know. Well, then you can say, well, well who who's going to determine it? Who's going to determine when you're done? And who determines each lifetime, where you're going to be? Do you determine it? Does someone else determine it? Is it determined mechanistically? Uh, these are good questions to ask because there aren't any real clear answers on it. Get them to think about it. And then you can ask, so if you, you're here on your last life, you finally made it, you don't have to reincarnate anymore, where do you go? What happens to you? Where will you be? Will you still be, you know, Jane Smith? Or are you going to merge into this god? And then you won't be Jane Smith anymore. What will you be? You can ask these kind of questions to try to get them to see that the application of it is really not very appealing at all.
0: Yeah that's tremendous advice thank you very much it's nice to see how you can cover it from different angles with different personalities of course who will have different experiences to draw upon now just before we end could you let people know how they can find your website and what kind of resources they'll find there and of course you've also written this book
1: yes my website is wwwchristiananswersforthenewage all one word christiananswersforthenewage.org org my story there and a lot of different articles. And the book is Spellbound, The Paranormal Seduction of Today's Kids. It is now an e-book. It became an ebook in November. And this is a book about the occult, how we see the occult in our culture. First of all, what is the occult from a biblical explanation? And then how do we see it in the culture, especially as far as it targets young people? So it's mainly a guide for parents or adults who deal with children and teenagers and how to answer their questions and objections, also how to explain these things to them and explain why God says they're not good. So that is basically what the book is about.
0: You now it sounds like a really good book to get hold of I shall link to that in the show notes I haven't read it myself but um, I'm quite sure that it is full of tremendous practical advice just based upon what you've been saying to me just a few minutes ago uh, well may I say to you Marcia thank you ever so much indeed for coming on the programme it was at quite short notice actually so I was delighted that you said yes as I say I had heard of you some time ago from Vince McCann and so uh, it was great when you said yes you'll come on the show and talk about these things so thanks very much for agreeing and sharing all this information and also your Testimony with us.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate Vince's uh, recommendation, and I thank him for that. And I thank you for giving me this opportunity to share all of this information and having the time to discuss it. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I pray that it will be helpful to the listeners.